This is the Clinical Pharmacology Podcast with Nathan Tusher, where I discuss clinical pharmacology and pharmacometrics topics from the perspective of drug development scientists. Thank you again, everyone, for all the feedback on this podcast. I really appreciate hearing from you. Today's podcast is based on suggestions from two listeners, Kushal and Parmesh. Both wanted to know more about the techniques and methodologies for pediatric extrapolation. The majority of drug development is directed towards adult patients. Thus, initial clinical studies are conducted in adults and pediatric patients are generally not included in the drug development paradigm. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, regulatory bodies around the world started to release rules and guidances that were designed to encourage pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies to develop more drugs for pediatric patients. Some of these rules promise benefits such as an extension of patent life or an extension of market exclusivity before generic competition is allowed to begin. Others give penalties if requirements to develop plans to study drugs in pediatric patients are not submitted or if studies are not initiated. In today's podcast, I will discuss some of the technical approaches to extrapolating data from adult patients to pediatric patients. I hope this can help you in your work as you develop the next generation of great medicines for pediatric patients. Today's discussion will focus on some of the technical aspects of pediatric pediatric extrapolation with some reference to the regulatory steps required. Although I may mention pediatric investigation plans or PIPs or pediatric development plans, I will be not be diving deep into the regulatory processes around these documents. Regulatory rules around pediatric development are complex and there are many statutory timelines that impact filings and discussions with regulatory bodies. If you need advice on that, I recommend contacting an expert in regulatory affairs with a focus on pediatric development work. A key component of any pediatric development plan is how to leverage the data you have collected in adults and use it to inform you regarding the pediatric patients. The first topic I'll cover is a general clinical pharmacology pediatric extrapolation plan. I'll describe the basics of the plan that is commonly proposed to regulatory bodies, and then I'll discuss specific technical approaches for extrapolation of adult pharmacokinetic data to pediatric patients. Next, I'll discuss extrapolation of adult exposure response or pharmacodynamic data to pediatrics, and I'll finish with a discussion of how to use physiologic-based pharmacokinetic models for pediatric extrapolation. Before you embark on pediatric development, you will need to have a plan in place with the regulatory agency. A key part of this plan is how you will leverage the information from adult patients to help you select doses for pediatric patients. This plan is then updated as you collect new information in pediatric patients and revise your projections. The goal is to develop adequate information to support a safe and effective dose in pediatric patients while minimizing unnecessary clinical studies and enrolling as few patients as needed to establish evidence of safety and efficacy. In my experience, most clinical pharmacology plans for pediatric development have the same key features. So I'll discuss those now, followed by a more technical discussion of methods. The key first assumption is that the driving force behind safety and efficacy is the systemic exposure of the drug in adult patients. Thus, in pediatric patients, we should target the same exposure metrics that were safe and efficacious in adults. Importantly, we do not target the same dose used in adults. Thus, if a dose range of 50 to 100 milligrams once daily is safe and effective in adults, 
we look at the range of the area under the curve or AUC values for those doses to give the target AUC for pediatric patients. Then we want to find the doses in pediatric patients that are expected to give those same AUC values. After defining our target exposure in pediatric patients, an existing population PK model based on adult patients is used to extrapolate to pediatric patients using allometric scaling methods. I'll discuss the details of that in the next section. Simulated exposures in pediatric patients of different ages are performed to help select the optimal dose that will keep the exposure within the target range. These doses are then suggested as starting doses for pediatric patients. These doses could be modified based on knowledge about the exposure response or PKPD in pediatric patients. Then clinical studies are initiated and data is collected in a small number of pediatric patients that are generally ages 12 to less than 18 years of age. The number and timing of blood samples are normally optimized using a D-optimal design approach. The model predicted exposure is compared to the observed exposures to determine the accuracy of the projections before proceeding with more patients or with patients at younger ages. If the observed exposures and the predicted exposures are similar, then the younger age groups and more patients are evaluated in the clinical study. The model could also be updated at this point with the pediatric data to provide new projections which may alter the proposed doses in pediatric patients. This process is repeated with younger age groups with the common breakpoints being 12 to 18 years of age, 6 to 12 years of age, 2 to 6 years of age, and less than 2 years of age. Each age group is evaluated before proceeding to the next younger age group. When projecting exposure in pediatric patients less than two years of age, the implementation of physiologic-based PK or PBPK modeling is encouraged. This type of modeling can incorporate knowledge about the maturation of metabolic enzymes and systems that can impact drug exposure. Finally, after all pediatric studies have been completed for all age groups, a pediatric pharmacometrics analysis is performed. This generally includes a population PK model and exposure response models. These models may be independent from the adult models if there's adequate data, or they may be developed in combination with the adult data. So the basic plan is to predict exposure, or predict exposure in pediatric age groups, collect data from a few individuals in that age group, refine predictions for the next younger age group, and then repeat. Now that we have an idea of the extrapolation approach, let's discuss one of the most common technical methods used to extrapolate adult PK data to pediatric patients. Unlike first in human studies where we start with a small dose and then escalate to larger doses until we find clinically relevant doses, in pediatric patients we want to start with a clinically relevant dose. As I mentioned earlier, in pediatric patients we want to target the exposure observed in adult patients at the clinically effective dose. To do that, we leverage the adult population PK model and the principles of allometry. Allometry is a scientific theory that pharmacokinetic parameters, volume distribution, and clearance are related to body size. More specifically, volume distribution changes proportionally to changes in body size, and clearance changes less than proportionally to changes in body size. This theory has been studied and applied with various animal species and human subjects across a wide range of compounds. 
With the exception of some targeted therapies and large molecule biologics, the theory has proven to be robust and reliable. To implement this for pediatric predictions, I normally follow these steps. First, I refit the final adult data by adding allometric exponents to the volume and clearance parameters. For volume parameters, I add the ratio of the individual body weight divided by 70 kilograms, and that ratio exponentiated to the power of one. I do this for each volume parameter in the model. So for a one compartment model, I add this factor times the central volume distribution. For a two compartment model, I add this factor times both the central and peripheral volumes of distribution. For clearance parameters, I add the same ratio of individual body weight divided by 70 kilograms, but I exponentiate to a power of 0.75. Again, this is done for each clearance parameter, which would include total clearance and intercompartmental clearance values such as Q. You do not use allometric exponents on rate constants. The new model should give slightly different estimates for the volume and clearance parameters, but the diagnostics should be quite similar. Sometimes your model already has body weight as a covariate, and perhaps you even centered it on the median body weight of the population instead of 70 kilograms. Even in these cases, I replace the body weight covariate with the standard allometric exponents of, as I have described. The reason is that estimated exponents based on median body weights are optimal for describing the observed data, but they may skew results when we start extrapolating outside of the observed data. The exponents may not be valid at extreme values of body weight. Thus, converting to the standard body weight of 70 kilograms and using exponent values of 1 for volume and 0.75 for clearance can leverage over 50 years of experience from other compounds when simulating outside the observed adult data. In addition, if age or body weight is included elsewhere in the model, you may want to remove these covariates because they could cause problems with the extrapolation. After refitting the model with standard allometric exponents, the second thing I do is prepare a data set with pediatric simulation subjects. I normally leverage the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, which is also commonly known as NHANES, or I use the U.S. CDC growth charts, or I use the World Health Organization growth standards. The NHANES is preferred for clinical studies in the United States for pediatric patients from two years up to 18 years of age. But you have to be careful because when NHANES, and I'll talk about this later, you're actually sampling individual subjects. There may not be many subjects in the category you're sampling from in NHANES, so you may want to use one of the growth chart approaches. The WHO or World Health Organization data is preferred for studies outside of the United States or for pediatric patients less than two years of age. Creating the pediatric simulation subjects is slightly different for each data set. In most cases, I create at least 250 simulation subjects in each age group of interest. Normally, those age groups are 12 to 18 years of age, 6 to 12 years of age, 2 to 6 years of age, and 1 month to 2 years of age. Those age groups can be changed or modified based on the disease condition or the target patient population that you have. 
The NHANES dataset includes individual subject data, so you can simply sample individuals from the full dataset, selecting, their exact, selecting the exact number of subjects you want from each category. But again, you have to be careful because sometimes there's not a lot of data in NHANES, especially for younger patients. And so you may be resampling the same patient over and over and over again. So often for younger patients, even usually definitely younger than two years of age, but sometimes younger than six years of age at all, I'll use the CDC or WHO growth charts. They require a little bit extra work, but it's not complicated. The growth charts include the distribution of body weights for various ages of children and statures. So to create a simulation subject, first I create a uniform distribution of ages in each age category with the desired number of subjects. As an example, this would give me 250 simulation male subjects with an age between 12 and 18 years of age and 250 female subjects in the same age category. For each of those 500 subjects, I would then identify the mean and standard deviation for body weight based on their specific age and sex. Then I would randomly sample a single body weight using the mean and standard deviation from the growth chart. This then creates a set of simulation subjects with body weight, age, age group category, and sex. I save this set of simulation subjects to be used in future PK simulations. The third step is to take the simulation subjects and randomly sample inter-individual variability terms to be used in, to calculate the individual PK parameters for each simulation subject. The body weight will be used in the calculation of the volume and clearance parameters. Then, using the simulated individual PK parameters, the appropriate dosing regimen is simulated using the adult clinical dose amount and the exposure metrics are calculated. For example, steady state AUC may be calculated for a drug intended to be administered chronically. The median AUC for each age group category is calculated and compared to the average AUC for adults. Generally, the pediatric patient AUC will be larger than the adult AUC, suggesting that a lower dose might be prudent. To estimate the target pediatric dose, take the median simulated pediatric AUC and divide it by the adult AUC. The ratio will likely be larger than one. You then divide the adult clinical dose by the calculated ratio to get the target pediatric dose. You may need to adjust the dose to a feasible amount for manufacturing and packaging. Then you rerun the simulations with the new dose amount and compare the simulated pediatric AUC to the observed adult AUC. So as an example, let's say the adult clinical dose is 50 milligrams and the ratio of simulated pediatric AUC to observed adult AUC is 1.65 when we use a 50 milligram dose for the pediatric patients. Then the projected pediatric dose would be 50 milligrams divided by 1.65, which is 30.3 milligrams. However, perhaps the manufacturing team does not have a 30.3 milligram formulation, but they do have a 25 milligram formulation. I would then simulate pediatric exposure with a 25 milligram dose and then compare the simulated pediatric exposures to the observed adult exposures. During this process, you may find that the target pediatric dose will be different for each age group. That is not a problem. In fact, it is expected. Often plots that show the distribution of simulated pediatric AUC values along with the distribution of observed adult AUCs 
or simulated values from individual adult subjects using the final PopPK model, using box plots can be useful. The plot with all age groups receiving the adult clinical dose can be contrasted with a plot with age groups using the planned optimal doses. In addition, once you collect some data from pediatric patients, you can overlay the observed pediatric exposure measures with the simulated distributions to identify how well your model predicted the pediatric exposure. The next topic I want to touch on is extrapolating response or pharmacodynamic data from adults to pediatric patients. This type of extrapolation can be extremely useful. However, it is also highly specific to the disease and the therapy. PK models are relatively conserved across species and often, very often, between adults and pediatrics because the physiologic systems that handle drug absorption, distribution, and elimination are very similar. However, response or PD models are not like PK models because they are designed to describe how the drug impacts the human physiologic system. Thus, translation of adult PD model to pediatric patients requires knowledge about the disease mechanism, downstream effects of the drug target, and signal amplification between the target and the response. Another way to describe this is visualize, or another way to describe this is to visualize a video short shown on TikTok. It's usually a joke. And I have a link in the show notes if you want to watch that. So if you as an adult place both hands over your head and make the shape of the letter O or the number zero, there will be a significant space between the top of your head and your hands. But if you have a child or a grandchild or a niece or a nephew that is under one years of age, try this with them. Help them do the same thing to put their hands above their head. Their head will likely fill all of the space between their arms and they may not even be able to touch their hands above their head. Is it because their arms are short or is it because their heads are so big? Well, the answer is that babies are still developing and then the relationship between the size of their head and the lengths of their arms is changing as the babies grow and become adults. This is why response and PD models in adults may not apply to children. In my experience, unless there's available clinical data in pediatric patients, I'm very cautious to extrapolate response or PD models from adults to pediatric patients. However, if required, you may want to consider doing things like estimating a higher sensitivity for children than adults. That would mean decreasing the EC50 for any max model. This would be a conservative approach to not overdose a pediatric patient. You may also want to decrease the maximal effect because pediatric patients may not have the same system capacity as an adult. The challenge is trying to determine how much to reduce these variables in your models. Without clinical data, any changes are purely empirical and difficult to support with confidence. So the final topic that I want to discuss is the use of physiologic-based PK or PBPK modeling. It can be very, very useful for pediatric extrapolations, particularly for infants one month of age to less than two years of age. This is because PBPK models are mechanistic models. They're designed to mimic the mechanistic processes of absorption, metabolism, and excretion. In contrast, population PK models are empirical, and the allometric approach is based on a history of observations, not necessarily some mechanistic process. 
Thus, with PPPK models, you can modify specific mechanistic processes and then observe the impact. This is really useful for modeling pediatric patients less than two years of age. Infants between one month and two years of age are still going through rapid development of their metabolic system. Thus, the amount and activity of several metabolic enzymes and transporters are changing during this time period. If those mechanisms are involved, or if those metabolism, metabolic enzymes are involved in metabolism distribution or excretion of your drug, then you want to include that development process in your prediction for exposures in these infants. There is a really nice review article by Kefei Wang from 2021 on the use of PBPK models in pediatric development. I put a link to the abstract in the show notes. In figure two of the publication, there's a plot of the relative expression of hepatic cytochrome P450 enzymes from one month up to 20 years. Many of these enzymes, including CYP3A4 and CYP1A2, do not reach 90% of adult expression until two years of age. But CYP2D6 reaches 100% of adult expression at three months of age. So understanding the metabolic fate of your drug and the ontogeny of the relevant metabolic enzymes is critical to predicting exposure in pediatric patients under two years of age. Because PKPD models are mechanistic in nature, the approach to simulating exposure in pediatric patients will differ depending on the administered drug. But in essence, you'd identify the appropriate change in metabolic enzymes that occur with age, put that into the PBPK model, and then predict exposure across a range of subjects. In some cases, you can use the PBPK and population PK models to cross-check each other with respect to older subjects. They should generally provide similar exposure estimates for pediatric patients older than two years of age. And then they should diverge at ages less than two years of age as the PBPK model generally incorporates ontogeny more effectively than the population PK model. Now, you could include these in a population PK model. I've just found that it's much more efficient and easier to do it within PBPK because the mechanistic natures of the enzymes are already included. Another area where PBPK models can be extremely helpful in pediatric development is to identify and simulate the impact of drug-drug interactions in pediatric patients. Polypharmacy is really not a huge thing in pediatric patients, but in some patient populations, it is important. Again, the mechanistic nature of PBPK models permits accurate estimates of specific impacts without the need for large clinical studies. In pediatric development, it is not ethical to conduct drug-drug interaction studies, but there's times when pediatric patients may receive multiple drugs that are not commonly used in adult patients. The ability to use a PPPK model to predict the impact, especially when combined with age-related changes in enzyme function, is a great advantage of this technique. The method for evaluating drug-drug interactions is not different from ontogeny discussed previously. The magnitude and timing of the effect is built into the mechanistic model based on historical information. So you perform simulations and get predicted concentrations, and then you compare those to adult exposures that are known to be safe and effective. Okay, so in closing, today was all about pediatric development. The first topic I covered was a general clinical pharmacology pediatric extrapolation plan. 
Then I discuss using population PK models with allometry to predict pediatric PK exposure. I touched on the difficulty of extrapolating response or pharmacodynamic data from adults to pediatric patients. And the last topic was the effective use of PBPK models, especially with patients under two years of age when there are developmental changes in enzyme activity levels and drug-drug interactions in pediatric patients. Thank you again to Kushal and Parmesh for the suggestion to speak about pediatric extrapolation and pediatric development plans. For more information, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me an email to nathan at tushersolutions.com or sign up for my newsletter at tushersolutions.com forward slash newsletter. The newsletter is a copy of the show notes sent to your email each time an episode is released. Also, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to the show. Thank you. Thank you.